We stand in the presence of God's word. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was being tormented. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. When you read the Bible, context is very important. What came just before the story we've read? Six verses before, Luke writes, Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a word that is translated here as wealth. Sometimes it's translated money. It can simply mean things, or in today's parlance, stuff. You can't worship God and your stuff. And the Pharisees began to mock him, for they loved their stuff. Jesus said, I want to tell you a story. And this is the story for today. There was a rich man. Right away, he describes him. Jesus paints these beautiful word pictures for people of his generation who would have understood them better than you and I do. There was a rich man who wore purple. You see, purple was very difficult to find and reproduce. Most of it came from Phoenicia. Phoenicia, ah, yes, right above where we know modern-day Lebanon is, It was those same Phoenicians who first decided to make coinage, money. Divers in Phoenicia had learned that in the parts of the Mediterranean where they lived, there were very rare shells, shellfish that grew deep in the Mediterranean. They had no breathing apparatus as you and I do today, so they had learned how to knot a rope, put a weight at the end, and pull themselves quickly down, grab one of those shells, and go quickly back to the surface before they ran out of breath. Nonetheless, it was dangerous and difficult to harvest those shells. They were not plentiful. 
So purple was expensive because it was rare. And in fact, the Roman government had said only certain people could wear purple. Then it says, and he wore fine linen. Just this week, I got an advertisement from a custom shirt company. They were advertising, buy four and get a fifth one free. They were describing these different kinds of shirts, and finally it said, and our best shirt is made from 100% Egyptian cotton. 100% Egyptian cotton. And that's where this man's shirt came from as well. Egyptian linen and purple robes. And every day it was like a simcha, it says, like a wedding, like an anniversary, like a banquet for this guy. He just ate more than he wanted every day. Now, just outside the gate of his house, there was a man named Lazarus. It says he sat by the gate, but that's not really an accurate rendering. It literally says a man dumped, dropped, put, placed outside the gate, meaning he was probably crippled, not able to get there by himself. And somebody brings him down every day and plops him down just outside the gate, hoping that maybe something that dropped from the table will be put out with the garbage and he'll have something to eat. Dr. Brandon Scott says, Notice here that the rich man has no name. In the King James Version, he was called Dives, but that was a mistranslation of the Latin Vulgate done by St. Jerome. It really is just the word meaning rich. He didn't have a name in the story Jesus told that Luke records for us, but Lazarus does have a name. It was the modern form of a very old Hebrew word, the son of Aaron, Moses' brother. Moses made Aaron, his own brother, his chief high priest. And when Aaron died, his older son became the high priest. His name was Eleazar, and that became Lazarus over the next uh, 1,200 years. The name means he whom God helps. That should be a clue right off. The rich man has no name. Lazarus has a name, the one whom God helps. But in Jesus' day, there was still this mixed idea that if you're doing well, you must be doing things correctly. And if you're not doing well, you must be messing up somehow. And yet this is the one whom God helps, who is sort of dumped outside the gate of the rich man's house every day and dreams about some of the things that might fall from the table finally coming to him in the garbage outside. The Reverend Larry Holland grew up in Oklahoma. He went to University of Central Oklahoma at Edmond, was graduated there, and then went to the Reverend Eva Marie Campbell's alma mater, St. Paul's Seminary in Kansas City, came back to Oklahoma to pastor a small church, and a tornado hit the little town where he and his family lived. They were okay, he and his family, but the whole little town had its electricity knocked off for days, There was no running water. Their little hospital clinic was destroyed. Larry said, we thought we had very little, and now we had less. No electricity, no running water, 
and the meager food we had in the refrigerator was now spoiling, of course. It was dark, so dark that first night when suddenly somebody was pounding on our door. At first you're apprehensive. The storm was so loud and now it's so quiet. And then a pounding on the door. I went and opened the door, he said, and found a man standing there with two bottles of water. And he said, would you like some fresh water? And I took them. And that night, my wife and I decided we want to be where people need us as desperately as we needed somebody. And he traveled for years with our United Methodist Committee on Relief, where people had endured an earthquake, a tsunami, a hurricane, a tornado, some other horrible catastrophe. And 10 years ago, our denomination said to him, you need to help us tell our story to the world, what we're trying to do. We're first on the ground. We will be the last ones to leave. And he became general secretary of the Board of Communications for the United Methodist Church in Nashville 10 years ago, still functioning in that capacity today. But Larry says our life changed when we decided, though we felt we had little, there were many who had even less, and we wanted to be there for them. Number two, Jesus said, the rich man died and was buried. Boom. Lazarus died too. And the angels came and bore him up to the very bosom of Abraham. We all do die, you know. There finally is an accounting. Dr. Tankersley is with you in death more than any of the rest of us because you've come to love and appreciate him so very much, and you know how helpful he is in such moments. I make hospital calls as well. He and I often talk about the people we're visiting, how so often the family's in absolute denial. The doctor says, well, if we give her this, she might make three more days or three weeks. And so they keep pumping air in and out of somebody's lifeless body and injecting one more thing into them. The Reverend Kathy Reed is a Presbyterian minister in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Kathy has written that before she became pastor of a Presbyterian church, after she was graduated from seminary and ordained, she decided she wanted to be a hospital chaplain for a time. She said, I remember the day very well when a nurse sort of took me by the sleeve and said, you need to go help that fellow down the hall. He needs you. She said, I hurried down there to see what was going on, and I discovered that the room was literally overflowing with visitors. They were all talking loudly to each other, and the poor old man in the bed, nobody seemed to be paying much attention to him. Three people in the room were on their cell phones. Two others were arguing about the football game the night before and who should have won, if only. And finally, she said quietly, I moved from person to person, suggested maybe he needed a little quiet, the patient, maybe a little quiet. And finally, only he and I were there. He hadn't said a word. I walked over to the bed and said, how are you feeling about all this? And he said... I just want to die. I'm just trying really hard to die. I've had a long life. It's been wonderful in so many ways. Now I really can do nothing. 
every night, just before I sleep, I pray that he will come and take me home. We all come to some moment like that. We all do die. Number three. You notice that the rich man knows Lazarus' name. He knew him. He knew the name. And he never walked out through the gate and helped him. Lazarus, he saw, sitting right by Father Abraham. And so he calls out, the rich man does, Father Abraham. Notice how he still thinks everybody's supposed to wait on him. Send Lazarus with some cool water for me. I'm roasting down here. And when Abraham refuses, says there's a chasm between us. It literally is a gate. Dr. Brandon Scott says again, you see, there was a gate that the rich man never went out to help Lazarus, and now there's a gate that he's not allowed to go through. So he cries out again, finally. Well, if I can't get to you and Lazarus can't come to me with cool water, send Lazarus, still giving orders, send Lazarus to my father's home. I have five brothers. They need to know this is what could happen to them. Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets, which encompassed the Hebrew scriptures at the time of Jesus. You see, again, you need context here. You and I have been working on Luke's gospel all this year. You remember how we began last Advent season? When a lot of churches rush on to Christmas, 1st of December, no. We beg you, let's do Advent. Let's go through four weeks of being prepared. And one of those lections, right from the same gospel, featured the preaching of John the Baptizer who said to these people who were rushing down the hills from Jerusalem to the Jordan where he was baptizing, you brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Do not think that calling yourself the family of Abraham will save you if you do not have the fruits of repentance. Fruits of repentance. That's what the rich man didn't have. Did you read the wonderful article a couple of weeks ago about our rabbi, Charles Sherman's, talking about Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur? He said, here we have 10 days to pray, to repent. That word in Hebrew means to turn or return and to do acts of charity. He was still begging. Will you hear Moses? Will you hear the prophets? They're telling you to repent, to turn, return to the one who created you, who breathed into you the breath of life. This week I was reading about a new gift series of Laura Ingalls Wilder's books, the Little House on the Prairie books. Remember her? She was born in 1867, two years after the end of the Great Civil War. Later, after she became a young adult, a school teacher, 
she started writing the stories. She said her father always had a wanderlust to him, and so he moved his family westward into the frontier. Oh, there were cities on the East Coast back at the time of the Civil War, but this was still Indian territory. We still had a functioning Fort Gibson. We still had a functioning Fort Smith. The Ingalls family moved westward into the frontier. Life was tough, difficult. She wrote that series of books about her family. She lived nearly 90 years. But in her stories, there were several themes that recurred. One of those was about Pa's fiddle. Pa always had the fiddle with him wherever they went. And at nighttime, no radio, no television, no books. Pa would play. They would sing hymns. Around the kitchen stove, in sometimes freezing winter, sometimes hot, dry summer, Pa would play. Mom and the children would sing hymns of the faith. The other thing she tells about in all of her books are how wonderful are good neighbors. One time a prairie fire was rushing toward the village. We can all understand that with the wildfires we had just this summer that destroyed the homes of some people you knew and I knew. Our Wally Woosencraft's home was burned to the ground while he was out of state attending a granddaughter's graduation. Burned to the ground. Well, not the Ingalls' home because neighbors got there in time. Neighbors, neighbors, how wonderful it was to have good neighbors who bear the fruits of repentance, of turning, returning to the God who made us. All right, number four. Nope, we're not sending Lazarus to your brothers. You have Moses and the prophets. Well, then send Lazarus to my brothers. I mean, somebody coming back from the dead, they would repent. Jesus' story says, no, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't, not even if somebody were to be raised from the dead. Of course, Luke knows somebody already has been at that point. Jesus has been. And there are so many who are not bearing the fruits of repentance. Three times, Gail and I have been to the little village of Assisi in Italy. It's a beautiful little village that sits high on top of a hill. The trains run north and south there along a valley. But down the spine of Italy, you have hills. And right on the top of one of those little hills is the town of Assisi, where St. Francis was born. 1,200 years ago. You can actually stay in hotels there that are more than 1,000 years old. It's an interesting little town. One time on our last visit, Gail and I went down the hill away to see the church, the place where followers of Francis first really got themselves organized. And after lunch that day, I went up the hill into the woods where St. Francis and those first ones who followed him uh, spent months and months in the catacombs they carved out up there in the hills. They're still there 1,200 years later. I got caught in a thunderstorm up there, as you recall. But one of the stories about St. Francis is that as other young men decided to do what he had done, remember his father was a wealthy merchant, 
And one day, after Francis was really introduced to sick and dying people and had been in war, he stood in the middle of the little town and dropped all of his outer clothing away, leaving just underwear girding, and walked away from all of his mammon, all of his things, all of his stuff. Those who followed him were expected to do the same. And one young novice asked, Sir, may I have a prayer book that a friend wants to give me? And Francis said, If a prayer book today, tomorrow a fancy Bible. And then you would want to sit in a fancy chair and say to someone, Bring me my Bible. And with these young faces gathered around the campfire up there in the hills, Francis reached over into the very cool part moved his finger into the ashes and then marked on this young man's forehead the sign of the cross and said, there's your prayer book. Verse 